without tribulation and trials, without temptations and trials, your faith will not grow. Your faith will not be perfected. You will not grow into maturity without the devil. I hate to say this, but it's true nonetheless. We need the devil. And when the devil's job is no longer needed, Father's got a place for him, along with those who follow him. But until that time comes, the devil is going to be busy doing what the devil's been hired to do, and that is to help perfect your faith. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to John. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Passover was not a sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice for sin was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. As our high priest, after his crucifixion, Yeshua presented his own blood in the tabernacle, not made with hands, and thereby atoned for the sins of the world. Unlike the earthly Levitical high priest who atoned for the sins of Israel year after year, Messiah did it once and for all. Our high priest has atoned for the sins of the world whether the world recognized their sins have been atoned for or not. Therefore, we can declare with all boldness and confidence that our sins have been atoned for. We are to live like people whose sins have been forgiven. When Messiah returns, he is coming for those who recognize what he has done and are looking to his coming. The message title in this podcast is, We Have Found the Messiah, the King of Israel. So, let's study. Well, if you all are ready, we're going to go ahead on and jump to. We're going to start reading in verse number 40 of John chapter 1. But this is not the beginning of what is going on. Actually, last week, if you remember, uh, we were talking about the message, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And twice in John, John the writer, the Apostle John, as it is believed, that wrote this particular passage, he used that phrase. It is the only phrase that behold the lamb is in. Now, as I shared last week around Passover, people tend to use the phrase behold the lamb. We have images for our Passover banner of a lamb and behold the lamb. And and for many, that phrase seems to be synonymous with Passover. But in the context that John uses the passage, the phrase, behold the lamb. He's not talking so much about Passover because he uses the phrase, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And that Passover was not a sacrifice for sin. That The sacrifice for sin was Yom Kippur. It was the day of atonement. And we know, according to the Bible, that Messiah has become our atoning sacrifice. That he, the high priest, after his crucifixion, he presented as high priest his own blood 
in the tabernacle, not made with hands. And so he atoned for the sins of the world with the sacrifice on the cross or on the tree. And we address the issue of how some want to move us into a place of thinking to where the spring feasts have been fulfilled. The fall feasts are yet to be fulfilled when we know that the day of atonement is part of the fall feast. The day of atonement is part of the fall feast. And therefore, on Passover, Yeshua became the atonement. On Passover, Yeshua became the atonement. He has already atoned for our sins. Is our sins atoned for or not? And so we have the imagery and the information from the imagery or the imagery from the information where Yeshua entered into the Holy of Holies. He presented his own blood sacrifice and he, unlike the high priests in the earth who have to go in on the day of atonement year after year after year, he did it once and for all. And so our high priest has atoned for the sins of the world, whether the world recognized their sins have been atoned for or not. And so the next time Messiah comes, he's not coming for the atonement of sin. He's coming for those who have been atoned for. He's coming for those who recognize what he has done and is looking to his coming. So when John uses the statement, and this is John the Baptist, who says, behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He wasn't just talking about a Passover lamb. He was talking about the atonement. That this lamb is going to take away the sins and he will be the atoning sacrifice. And therefore, we could declare with all boldness and confidence that our sins have been atoned for. Now. We are to live like people whose sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. And so when he said this, the Bible tells us the next day he saw Yeshua and he made that statement and he was with two of his disciples and two of his disciples left John and followed Yeshua. Now, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we come to realize that John still had followers long after his death. Remember Paul, the Bible says that he was, he was in Ephesus and he met some brethren, some disciples, and he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they made a profound statement. We have not even heard of the Holy Spirit, which I find to be a little bit challenging that John would have disciples who have not heard of the Holy Spirit unless John wasn't talking about the Holy Spirit all the time. But remember, the passages that we did see is that he says, I will baptize with water. But there's one who cometh after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He said this in this chapter. And so John could have possibly had disciples who didn't listen to what he was saying. 
Just like people come to services today, they come to churches today, they come to synagogues today, they come to assemblies today, and they're not necessarily paying attention when the message is going forward. And that's unfortunate to be in the place where the word is going forward and not hearing what is being said, which can come from being distracted and sometimes Circumstances in life have a tendency to follow us to the assembly. Trouble follow us to the assembly. Issues that we've been carrying during the course of the week follow us to the assembly. And it's not always the person next to you or behind you that is causing a distraction. The distraction you could be dealing with is the one you brought with you. And so I know that people come distracted. Sometimes people come to see somebody. They got an agenda. Sometimes people come and they can only stay so long because they got someplace to go. I mean, there are a lot of different distractions and it it is work. It is work. Let me say this. It is work to come into the place of assembly, expecting the Almighty to speak and to be focused and ready to hear what he has to say and be ready to take what he has said and walk it out once you have heard it. This means, and this is what discipleship is. It is discipline. It is being disciplined. Because if we truly believe that the truth make us free, then our desire should be to know truth and his word is truth. So what should we be coming for? When I come, I'm looking for freedom. Well, what if you don't realize where you have bondage? What if you think you are already free? Do you believe that you're, in, you're free in every area of your life today? Do you even recognize and acknowledge the areas where you may still have some bondage issues? Are you mindful of the programs that is going on in the back of your head or in your mind while the word is going forth that could be screaming louder than the word that you're hearing? Isn't it amazing that people can be in environments and settings where the word is going forth And very little change. What does it take for you to cuss? What does it take for you to snap? What does it take for you to allow something that shouldn't be in you in the first place come out of you unless you're not working on getting that stuff out of you or even feel it needs to be out? I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters. Dealing with ourselves can be a full-time job. We haven't even gotten to the spouse or the children or the parents or the siblings or the in-laws or the co-workers or the neighbors. I'm just talking about self. And this is where we want to be focused on in our walk with the Almighty And so coming 
into his presence should be all about self-improvement. I don't want to be the same person when I leave here today. I came to be changed. Father, address me where I need to be addressed. Speak to me where I need to be spoke to. Reveal to me where I need revelation. Show me how I'm getting in your way to keep you from accomplishing all that you have ordained to accomplish in me. Show me me. And if I do that, I'm not hunching the person next to me. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Hallelujah. So let's get into this. Verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him. Remember, there was two that was with John. And when they heard him say, behold, the lamb, they went after Yeshua. Now, this is some interesting stuff. So I'm really going to need you. This is a short passage, but it's filled with some very informative revelation. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and said unto him, we, we have found the Messiah. I want to go back. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and said unto him. So I want you to get the image. The Bible says in the previous verse that they saw the one that Yeshua was speaking about, right? And they followed him. The Bible also tells us that they asked him where he was staying. And he said, come and I'll show you. And they abode with him that night because it was late. But now John says he first findeth his own brother, Simon. You see. So now, which is it? Because see, we have to learn how to reconcile what is written without getting tripped up. And paying attention to what is written, because what you're going to find is that this, as I've said so many times, it's not in chronological order. Because he first indicates that before he followed him, he went found his brother. But that is not what John is saying here, but that's what it seems as if he's saying. He first findeth his own brother and said unto him, we have found the Messiah. Now, I'm going to tell you about me. I'm a little, I'm a little bit bothered that the next phrase is not in some kind of italics because it gives the impression that this is actually what he said versus revealing interpretation or translation privilege. Because I doubt very seriously that Andrew said, we have found Messiah, which is, is like, Simon, we found Messiah being interpreted the Christ. Now, just let that percolate for a moment. And logic would say, that's not how this went. Now, we've already identified that Messiah is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. Christ is not the Greek form. Christ is the English form of the Latin Christos. Messiah is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. And one of the things that I do when I'm studying, when I'm reading, when I'm researching in scripture, I probably in every verse have two or three questions that sometimes I have to shut this down, you know, 
I'm in verse 141 and I'm middle ways the verse and I have to leave this verse because I got to go look at another passage to see how it connects with this verse based on my reading and my remembering of something similar. And then I can come back and continue on. And you've heard me say that when I read the Bible, it's like I'm sitting and I'm talking with the Almighty and I got a lot of questions. I would love to be able to tell you that all the questions I have about faith and my walk in Messiah and what is written and what I've read, that I got all my, ans- my questions answered. I don't. I don't. And I've come to realize that what Father wants me to know, he revealed it to me when I'm ready to know it. There are times, brothers and sisters, like children, we think that we're more mature than we are or that we're ready to handle stuff that we're not ready to handle. And then once we're put in the situation, we realize that we aren't ready to handle this situation, but it's kind of late now because you're in the situation. And so what I've had to do is stop looking for stuff and wait on him to reveal what he wants to reveal to me because he knows when I'm ready for it, even though I may think I'm ready for something, I may not be ready for it because he doesn't put on us more than we can bear. And this goes back to him showing me the continents and I'm trying to figure out how it's going to happen. Well, listen, I'm just giving you a glimpse of where I'm taking you. I'm not showing you how I'm going to get you there. So be patient. Can you handle a glimpse? Can you handle me revealing to you a glimpse of your future? Can I show you some stuff to come without you trying to make it happen? Are you mature enough to handle this information that I'm going to give you? Now you say you want to know, but are you ready? And We have an overwhelming, yes, I'm ready, only to reveal. See, some people thought they were ready for marriage. Yeah, they did. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. There are things that we think we're ready for. Some of us think we're ready for children. I'm going to tell you something about children, bro. If there's any selfishness in you, it will be exposed. If there's self-centeredness in you, it will be exposed. I think, you know, as some of you know, the reason why some people don't want is because they recognize that they're ready to share their lives with, on that level. I ain't ready to share my stuff, my space, my time. <laughs> and basically by admission without admitting it, it's like I'm selfish and I'm not ready to stop being selfish. Hallelujah. So he first find Simon and said unto him, we have found the Messiahs, which is being interpreted. Basically, if anything, it would be, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Messiah. And he brought him to Yeshua, and when Yeshua beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Yeshua would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and say unto him, Follow me. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him. Now, I used to always think this was Nathanael until I heard the pronunciation in the actual Greek. 
And it's Nathanael. Nathanael. It looks like Nathanael. But for some reason, you know, how we, we do language. And saith unto him, well, how I do. I can't put that on you. And saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, come see. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, whence knowest thou me? Yeshua answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of Elohim, thou art the king of Israel. Yeshua answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of Elohim ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, I forgot um, that I had actually put the verses out, and then I was going to expound on them, because we've been putting going verse by verse and expounding as we go. But this, this morning I did things a little different and didn't real remember that I'd done it. So let's go back. Here we go. One of the two, which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon's Peter brother. And if you remember, and we'll point this out, one of the two was Andrew. Last week I said later on that would be named. The other disciple is not named. But from early times, it has been thought that he was John, the author of the gospel of John. And so here in John, Yeshua's first two disciples were not chosen by Yeshua. These two followed Yeshua based on John the Baptist statement referring to Yeshua as the Lamb of Elohim. And it's right there again in verse 35, going back into last week. The next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Yeshua as he walked, he said, behold, the lamb of Elohim. And the two disciples heard him speak. And what did they do? They followed Yeshua. Now, this was supposed to be every disciple John had. See, John didn't come to make disciples. John didn't come to have disciples. And what you will find is that people were following John, but John wasn't sent to make disciples. John was sent to prepare the way, which meant that every disciple of John on the revelation that Messiah, the lamb had been revealed should have been now following Yeshua. But we're all the way up in Acts 19, 18, 20, and we find that there's still individuals long after John's death, long after the crucifixion, long after the resurrection, long after assemblies have been been made in, in Jerusalem and the saints had been scattered, that there's still people following the baptism of John who have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And I would even say that That's what it felt like at times being in my Baptist church, that there were people who were following 
the John the Baptist, which is interesting, the Baptist church. Think about that for a moment. <clears throat> the Baptist church. Where would they get that name from? And the mindset is oftentimes in many of the Baptist church in times of old that the Holy Spirit was given for a season and he don't do that stuff no more. There's no more miracles. There's no more healings. There's no more deliverances. None of that stuff. We got the word now. The Bible is complete. We come together in our denomination, sing, sing Kumbaya and wait for Jesus to come back on that great getting up morning looking for a rapture. When the fact of the matter is, is that Yeshua came to empower us to carry the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the world. But he didn't come to empower denominations to do that. He came to empower his followers to do that. Father is not feeling denominations with his spirit. He's feeling people with his spirit. And you can be in a denomination and not be filled. You could be following a tenet of faith, a doctrinal belief, a denominational mindset, and not be following Messiah. Just like people were following John long after John was dead, there are people who are following their denominations and not following Messiah, which is why you'll find people that are more in tune with what their preachers teach, more in tune to what their denominations believe than they would in what the word actually say. The way you know you're following the Messiah is when you're incorporating his word in your life and you're allowing him to guide and direct you by his spirit. And when you do that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a desire to see people come to know the risen Savior you know. You'll have a heart and compassion for people. But here's another thing. You will have to self-evaluate yourself to see where you line up with him as your example. See, I can compare myself to any one of you all and probably come out smelling like a rose. But when I, when I compare myself to him, I'm reminded I got work to do. And that is a revelation in itself. So if my wife say and do stuff that irks me, how do I respond? Do I respond out of my carnal? Or do I allow him to show me how to respond? I can tell you this. When I've allowed him to show me how to respond, things have gone a lot smoother. When I don't, this thing could last for days. <laughs> and by the time it's over, you don't even realize what started it. If we find ourselves in that place, we will find ourselves a lot less stressful and the Prince of Peace will provide peace that surpasses our understanding. Here's the thing that I have learned, brothers and sisters. You can't change people. When a person has shown you who they are and where they stand, and you've done what you know to try to show them and reason with them, and they're still in that place, the only thing you can do is wait on the Spirit himself to intervene 
because you've sowed your seeds, you've watered whatever seeds that have been sown, but you can't bring the change. You can't bring the increase. This is a work of father. And so the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Yeshua. John's gospel doesn't cover a lot of ground that other gospel narratives cover. For instance, in John, you don't see Yeshua being baptized, but the Bible opens up with John the Baptist. We see him say, behold the lamb, but we don't see John baptizing him in John. Have you noticed that? And if you just read John, if you just read John, you would have to ask yourself, well, when did he get baptized? Because it's not there. If you just read John, you will figure out, you will realize that there's just, there's other stuff that is not there. And um, I know that when I first came in, just like some of you, I was handed a gospel of John. But there's a lot of stuff we know about the Bible that we didn't get from the Bible. Say that again. There's a lot of stuff we know about the Bible that we didn't get from the Bible. So John's gospel does not capture Yeshua's baptism by John the Baptist or the Yeshua or Yeshua's wilderness experience where he was tempted of the devil 40 days and nights. And what I found to be interesting is that there is absolutely not one list of the 12 disciples in John's gospel. John's brother, James is not mentioned once in the entirety of this gospel, nor is John, the author of this writing mentioned. So there's a lot of things and, and, you know, dealing with some theologians, well, you know, the way we know John may not have wrote it may have been a different John because John didn't write it. Well, if you take that, Yeshua didn't get baptized. And who was his disciples, by the way? You can't get that information from John, which is why you have to look at the whole. And here's the thing. I had this image in my mind to where I just wrote off on a big board and then I tore it into pieces, tore it into pieces. You saw what I wrote, tore it into pieces and then threw the pieces on the floor. Now, the pieces on the floor is pieces of the whole. It's like a puzzle. And now you have to take those pieces and put them in the place that they fit. And if you do that, now you got the picture that was puzzles, pieces. And that's the way the Bible is. The Bible is the big picture in pieces. And part of the role is to take those pieces and put together the puzzle to make sure you get the accurate picture. Some people got pieces of puzzle missing. You talk to them and, and they got a strong argument, but they got pieces missing. And you're talking to them. And if you're not listening, you won't realize, well, you know, there's some pieces of the puzzle that is missing. And you would be better off if you had those pieces this is one of the things that Aquila and Priscilla did to Apollos when they found him or when they came across him, they brought him and they taught him a more excellent way. Why? He had some stuff missing. And the day you can't be taught 
is the day you got the whole puzzle. And I can tell you here today, I don't have all the pieces. That's why I'm diligently seeking and searching and allowing him to change my mind when I found that what I believed was not completely accurate. And I found this as I, was, as I came into the Baptist church and went into the Pentecostal, charismatic, apostolic, non-denominational church. And then from there, going into the Lutheran and the Reformed and Independent. It's like there's pieces here and being here gives me more pieces. And over there, I got a few more pieces and I'm still looking for some pieces because I'm at a place in my life do I really want to do the works that Yeshua did with the authority and power that Yeshua did it? And because I'm not doing that, I know there's some pieces missing. You see, when I put myself next to my savior, I realize that he's what I want to look like, but I don't look like him right now. And I'm not talking about ethnically or culturally. I'm talking about in faith in his relationship with the almighty. And I'm not there yet. And it's unfortunate that I deal with people and talk to people who think they're there. And it can be a little stressful. And I have to realize and make sure that I'm not coming from a place in my communication with them that makes it look like I'm already there. Look, I may be a little further down the road. I may have more pieces of the puzzle put together than you may have. And I can tell you, hey, that piece go right here. Why? Because I've, I've had to fit that piece. <laughs> but I still got some pieces that I haven't fitted yet. And that's where we, you know, you, you add to me and I add to you and the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and we add to each other. And this is where the body, because I can't say that I'm whole right now that I don't need. And it's unfortunate that there are people who say, I don't need. I'm going to tell you something. When you take that attitude, you're going to have pieces missing. You'll be incomplete. And as a result, you will not get to the destiny that has been determined for you. A statement was made by someone that thought Yeshua chose his disciples before he started his ministry. You remember that statement? I, I think it came through the chat. But anyway, the fact is, is that Yeshua actually started his ministry before his disciples were chosen. And by the time Yeshua chose the 12, he had a lot of disciples. I remember thinking that Yeshua chose 12 disciples, you know, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he had his 12 and that was it until I read something in another gospel that made me start thinking. And then when I went back, you're going to see that John ends, the first chapter of John ends, Yeshua has five disciples at the end of chapter one, but he had only invited one to follow him. The other four followed him based on somebody else's testimony. I'm going to lay this out for you. Verse 12, Luke chapter six. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. Now notice, and continued all night in prayer to Elohim. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples 
And of them, he chose 12 whom he named apostles. What do you mean he chose 12? He already had his 12. Now, when I read this, it's like, okay, did Yeshua have more than 12 disciples? Now, technically, technically, yes. But when we think of apostles, he only had 12. And sometimes we use apostle and disciple in relating to Yeshua and his followers synonymous with one another. But this is not what he did. He says, and when it was day, he called unto his disciples and of them, he chose 12 whom also he named apostles. So he didn't name all his disciples apostles, but he did name 12 of them apostles. Verse 14, Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew is Nathanael. In other places, you'll see Nathanael. In some places, you'll see Bartholomew, but they're the same. And then Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes. And Judas, the brother of James, and Judas... Iscariot, which also was the traitor. So how many Judases did Yeshua have following him? At least two, but there were probably more because Judas was a common name, just like Yeshua was a common name. But this particular Yeshua may have had a common name, but his coming about was not, un, was not common. By the time he sent out the disciples two by two, he had at least 80 disciples and he sends out the 12, Luke 9, 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Now, I particularly am fascinated with these passages because they went out, they had authority over devils, power over devils, and the ability to cure diseases, and they didn't have the Holy Ghost. They had not received the Holy Spirit at this point. And what does that say for us, brothers and sisters? There is an authority, and you've heard me say, Father, I, I pray that we walk in the authority and power. There are things that we have been told that we have the authority to walk in that doesn't necessarily require the power of the Holy Spirit to do is simple obedience. Like, for instance, if your boss told you to take this package don't give it to anybody else to this particular destination. And I want you to deliver it personally, hand delivered and confidential to that person. You have the authority now to go and to deliver this package. If somebody comes and says, no, I'll give it to them. Is your authority is no, I've been given instruction that I am to hand deliver this package to this individual. And I'm not letting it out of my, my sight or out of my hand until it is in the hand that I'm to deliver. See, this is when Yeshua, when he dealt with the centurion, the centurion says, listen, man, I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. I say to one, go and another, and I don't have to go and watch them and follow them. All you got to do is speak the word. That was an authority statement. See, when you understand your authority and you walk in your authority, that is separate from the power of the Holy Spirit. You're walking in the authority of who you've been called. Yeshua gave them authority over the devil and power. 
And this word here is interesting that by his word, he gave them authority, which is exousia and power, which is dunamis. He gave them authority and power over devils and they didn't have the Holy Ghost. They hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were able to cure diseases, heal the sick, raise the dead. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of Elohim and to heal the sick. Yeshua sends out 70 others. In Luke 10, he says, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70. What do you mean other 70? You mean there was more than 12? He appointed them, sent them out two by two before his face, excuse me, into every city and place where he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And the Bible says they return excited by the things that they'd seen and experienced. So he sends out 12. He sends out 70 others. Now, Luke says it was 72, the NIV. You can read that in Luke 10, 1, after the Lord appointed 72 others. Yeshua appears to more than 500 disciples after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul wrote, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than to more than 500 of the brethren at the same time. Now, by the time we get to John chapter six, we're going to see Yeshua's got a multitude of disciples. And we shouldn't have a problem with that because we know that in two separate occasions, he fed more than 4,000 and another more than 5,000. But somehow in our narrow mind, religion has, has made us think that he only had 12 disciples. And in that narrow-minded thinking, we subconsciously exclude ourselves from being able to walk in the authority and power that he said we can walk in. Religion disqualify you from your authority that Messiah gave you. Religion will cause you to walk in a sub, in a place lesser than you have been called to walk in. This is the works of men. We have been commissioned with authority and power and to take it further, those of us who claim to have the Holy Spirit should be able to do what any of these 12 did and what any of those 70 did. We should be seeing the power of the Almighty working in our lives. We should be manifesting the power of the Almighty working in our lives. But for whatever reason, which is why we're going to talk a little bit more about faith and miracles, because we've taught on and taught on and taught on. But I'm going to tell you something. We can become hearers only. We hear it, but don't put into practice. And our society Our society impedes us from walking in the authority and power. Why? Because we walk by sight. It's unfortunate that most of us walk by sight. Time we live by the spirit. 
If you were led by the Spirit, walking in the authority and power that you've been given, you would see more signs and wonders following you. I'll tell you this. You won't see signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit operating in your life unless you put it into practice. You won't see it. And we, by society and by our religious affiliations, have allowed society and our religious affiliations neuter us, emasculate us, put us in a place of no authority and no power, a place of faith and knowledge, information. And we'll walk around puffed up, ready to argue and dispute our belief systems, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Or we'll look for some, something else to use to manifest the power of the Almighty. And there's all kinds of stuff you can use. You can put your faith in products. You can put your faith in science. You can put your faith in doctors. You can put your faith in, in a number of things to get the results of healing. But there's only one healer, brothers and sisters, and he don't need your products to heal. Hallelujah. John 1, 41. He, Andrew, first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, we have found Messiah's, which is being interpreted. <laughs> That's religion right there. Andrew's revelation of Yeshua as Messiah was based on John the Baptist's testimony of Yeshua when he said, behold, the Lamb of Elohim. The statement, we have found the Messiah's, indicate that some people were looking and waiting for the Messiah to come. And I found this to be quite interesting. Here it is. These individuals supposedly ignorant and unlearned recognized. See, John didn't go to the school of the Pharisees. He didn't go to the school of the Sadducees. He certainly didn't go to the school of Herod because he remind, he was reminded by his parents. You know, when you was little teeny weeny, the Herod's tried to kill you. So John didn't have that kind of education. John had relationship and revelation. And so now he's telling people, listen, I am not the Messiah. I am not the prophet. I am not Elijah, but he is among you. In fact, I am not even worthy to stoop down and tie his shoelaces. And though I'm showing up first, he was before me. And we know John was older than Yeshua by at least six months. But he says he was before me. I'm here, but he was before me. He's in the midst of us. And John's disciples say, where is he? I can imagine they probably is not saying, well, where is he? But, you know, if, if I tell you there's something in the room and you can't see it, what is your normal response? Where is it? So they're saying he's, he's among us. He's among us. Where is he? And then one day he said, there he is. And they said, see you later, John. That's all they needed was to be pointing in the right direction. 
They didn't get a revelation from the Holy Spirit. There was no angel who came down and said, there he is. It wasn't father revealing it like Peter. It was John the prophet saying, that's the lamb of Elohim right there. He is going to take away the sins of the world. And based on that testimony, but get this. Andrew's actions revealed his evangelist response by finding his brother and leading him or bringing him to the Messiah. The word there is the Greek Messiah is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. And so those of us who have gone to some kind of Bible college, some kind of seminary, know that or have been taught that the New Testament was written in what language? Greek, not in English. Andrew did not know English. He couldn't have said, which is interpreted the Christ. Hadn't been invented yet. So, which is interpreted, if he speaks Hebrew and the language is Greek or he's in a Greek-speaking environment, then the Messiah Hebrew would be interpreted the Greek Messiahs. Amen. Verse 42, and he brought him to Yeshua. And when Yeshua beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Verse 43, the day following Yeshua would go forth into Galilee and find that Philip and said unto him, follow me. This is the only person in this entire passage that Yeshua actually invite to follow him. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And what I wanted to do, which I will, is show you some. Now, this I just simply went to Google. I didn't go to Bible maps. I went to Google, and you'll see here in a minute. From where John was baptizing to Bethsaida in Galilee was over a day's journey by walking. Bethsaida is north of the Sea of Galilee. And on this map, you can kind of see that where John was baptizing was close to Jerusalem. Now, those of you who go to Israel today and you go on the tourist site, they're going to take you somewhere near Galilee to get baptized in the Jordan. But Yeshua wasn't baptized near Galilee in the Jordan. And there are people who are going out there in the, in the Jordan and Galilee thinking that this is where Yeshua was baptized, it's inaccurate. And we know that based on the location, geography, and war that was going on, that the actual place of where Yeshua was baptized was controlled by the Jordanians. And so the ministry of tourism in Israel did something that it has done over and over again to where people go on tours and they take them to sites that are not the sites, telling them these are the sites. And people are feeling, they don't even know they're being duped. Because they don't have a map. They don't even know where stuff is. So here they are out there being baptized among catfish in this nice, clean, baptismal pool. A whole day and a half journey away from Yeshua where he was actually baptized. But that's. Israel Ministry of Tourism. And so this trip from where the site where John was baptizing 
and the actual place where Bethsaida is by foot is 29 hours. And they're not traveling at night. They hunker down and, you know, when the evening, the night falls, they hunker down, get up and start all over again. And so the Bible says that Yeshua now, he leaves from the place where they were and they go to Bethsaida. Now, if you didn't know this, you would probably say, well, you know, they just walked a few blocks, you know, turned the corner and they were there. Because I was, I was listening to some of these Hebrew teachers and I'm not trying to knock, but the fact of the matter is they're making the statement about the Abib barley had to be within a certain proximity of the temple. And it's like, okay, where is that determinate in the Bible? Because the temple was in Jerusalem, right? That's where they built the temple in Jerusalem. Now for several years, the tabernacle was in Shiloh. So did they go to Jerusalem to get the barley to bring it back to Shiloh in tabernacle time? No. And then I'm hearing people say, well, they had to get the barley within the proximity of the temple and not several days journey. And it's like, you know, the location where the barley was found and the temple proximity, they're saying it's going to take three or four days of travel. But when you get on Google map and you map out the location of the temple and where barley is, barley is found, you don't even have a few hours journey. How can you be saying that three or four days? See to somebody who don't have a map, they'll buy the three or four day theory. It's like people are blowing smoke up your skirt, man. Let's be real and do the search, do the research. So at least you can operate on, Accurate information, not hearsay by somebody who's saying things that is not accurate. And so Bethsaida, if you look, I intentionally, you see that little red dot, the location finder? That's a few kilometers from the Dead Sea. Now you have to go 142 kilometers from that location up to the Sea of Galilee, and then that's north of the Sea of Galilee for Bethsaida. And so Andrew goes and finds Nathanael, Nathanael, right? And Nathanael makes a statement. Philip find Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. So what are they operating on? They're operating on their knowledge of the law of Moses. They're operating on their knowledge of the prophets and what they wrote. And they said, based on what we know, because there's no New Testament, we have found the Messiah. How can you be so sure, brother? Because it lines up with prophecy. And John lines up with prophecy. And when John said, behold, the Lamb of Elohim, we know because of what we have seen through the ministry of John. So we're banking on the knowledge and information from an accurate prophet. Not somebody who's prophesying wealth and glamour and, and all the stuff modern day prophets want to prophesy. And let me tell you something. If it's accurate, there's nothing wrong with it. If it's accurate. But just like Balaam, you got people who, you know, they, they do what they do for a few shekels for a few dollars and don't let them dollars be Franklin. Don't get it. 
What's the fellow on the hundred? Benjamin. Some Benjamins. You start bringing some Benjamins, Benjamins man. You got prophets prophesying for days. Thousand dollar line of prophecy is like, what's the difference between the thousand dollar and the five thousand dollar, bro? Well, you know, the five thousand dollar, we we zero in a little bit more. Okay. I need to zero in a little bit more. <laughs> man, I'm gonna tell you, I've I've seen some stuff. I've seen some stuff, and now that I look back at the stuff that I seen. I'm surprised I didn't know better, but I was with a whole lot of other people who didn't know better. Just like the prophet said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When you're in an environment where you don't know better, you do what is being done in that environment until you learn better. And when you learn better, you do better. You can't stay where you were unless you reject the information or the truth. Or do like some people do, take the truth, store it in their head for conversation purposes, but don't put it to practice. These people are hearers and not doers, and they are deceived. (laughs) Philip had knowledge of Yeshua's identity based on the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets as an Israelite. Nathanael, Nathanael reveals his prejudice for Nazareth. Nathanael's statements indicate that Nazareth was a bad place and incapable of producing anything or anyone good. And so Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, come and see. Now Nathanael had information because Nazareth was a short distance from Bethsaida, less than half a day by walking. And you'll see where they were in Bethsaida. They just went around a little south of the Galilee and out and you're, you're in Nazareth. You see, and Nazareth is the place where Yeshua was brought up, but he was born in Bethlehem, which is South. And so you got, you got all of this distance that is being covered and it's good to identify where these things are. So to give you a better understanding. And especially if you're going to be going on a tour, Yeshua saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Whence knowest thou me? Yeshua answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, this looks like something that is unique to Messiah. But how many of you know that even though we don't see Messiah being baptized, that he's been baptized at this point. The Holy Spirit has come upon him because John states that he who sent me told me that whom you see the Holy Spirit come upon and remain abode, he is. And so this is how John was able to recognize the Lamb of Elohim. When he says, behold the Lamb, John had seen what Father showed him that when the Holy Spirit came upon him and in another place, in a different gospel, the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism. So John baptized him. John witnessed the Holy Spirit come upon him and said, this is the Lamb of Elohim. But John doesn't, John the writer here doesn't capture it. So now, When the Holy Spirit comes upon Yeshua, guess what? The Holy Spirit empowered Yeshua the same way the Holy Spirit empowers us. It wasn't a different Holy Spirit Yeshua had. 
We know distinctly that Yeshua was baptized with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Whereas John was baptized in the womb. The Holy Spirit came upon Yeshua at his baptism. And you'll note that there's not a whole lot of work done by Messiah until after the baptism and the Holy Spirit. He had information. He had knowledge. He can reason. But no miracles were done until after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Words of knowledge, prophecy, seeing things to come came with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit you and I have access to. It's not a different Holy Spirit. You've heard me say there's not an Old Testament Holy Spirit and a New Testament Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers of old. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the prophets of old. The same Holy Spirit that inspired Messiah is the same Holy Spirit we have been given access to. And that Holy Spirit will do in us the same as that Holy Spirit did in Messiah. Show you things to come. So Yeshua says, before Philip came to you, I saw you. Yeshua has a vision of Nathanael. And when he comes, he gets a word of knowledge. And these are gifts of the Spirit. Prophecies like vision, showing you things. You can see things. Some of you know you've seen things. Things have been revealed to you. The world says deja vu. You won't find deja vu in the Bible. But that's what the world calls it. Oh, man, I've been here. See, you are in a place where you had a glimpse of, just like Yeshua says to Nathanael, you're going to see some stuff too. You're going to see the heavens open. You're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. When you get the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you will see stuff. But let me tell you something. You can see stuff, but then see stuff. And what you see is what you respond to versus what you see. And that, my brothers and sisters, is walking by sight. And that's what we are prone to do. We walk by sight more than we realize we're walking by sight. And we got to change that narrative. I can't do it for you. I can do it for me. I can teach you. But whatever stronghold you have, whatever belief you've come under the understanding of, that's what's going to motivate you. And once you've locked yourself into a mentality and a belief system, it's very difficult for it to be unlocked because now you locked and loaded. See, and this is where I'm, I'm really thankful. I used to be one of those people who let the media decide the innocence or guilt of a person. Because I'm going to tell you something. People can convince you that somebody did something that they actually didn't do. And the evidence, and this is why the Bible tells us, you know, if you hear one side of a story, you don't make a, a judgment. But think about how much judgment we've made with one side of a story. So I had to pull back off of that because you can be convinced of stuff that ain't even right. And if you don't do your due diligence, you'll take, well, that's a reliable source. Really? 
See, it was reliable sources that got Messiah crucified. They were just lying sources. And father know how to use liars to get his purpose accomplished because he could have stopped them and exposed them as liars. But nope, the liars had a role. And the same way the liars had a role in helping Messiah get to the place of his destiny, the liars will have a role shaping you. Thing is, is that you don't allow the liars to shape you. You allow the almighty to shape you, which means that you don't allow the liars to get into your spirit. Because, you know, when people lie on you, that can get in your spirit big time. Next thing you know, you're dealing with people based on what's in your spirit. I don't try my spirit. I just don't feel right in the spirit. It's like, okay, is that the Holy Spirit? Because that's what's important. See, the Holy Spirit, it's like Yeshua said, I chose all of y'all. And one of you is a devil. It's like, Messiah, why would you be choosing the devil to follow you? I need the devil. The devil helps us get without tribulation and trials, without temptations and trials, your faith will not grow. Your faith will not be perfected. You will not grow into maturity without the devil. I hate to say this, but it's true nonetheless. We need the devil. And when the devil's job is no longer needed, Father's got a place for him, along with those who follow him. But until that time comes, the devil is going to be busy doing what the devil's been hired to do, and that is to help perfect your faith. So you don't need the devil to help you perfect your faith. Yes, you do. You need people lying on you. You need people cheating on you. You need people deceiving you. You need people taking advantage of you because you don't know what's in you until those moments. You got stuff in you you don't even know is there. And Father's seeing, so he's bringing this stuff to press it out of you. Bring it to the forefront. You can hide it and hide it and hide it. You know, people come up in church, they're all prissy and clean and all that kind of stuff, and then you catch them out there and they're pressed. And it's not until you're in a pressed situation that you really see what's in you. And once you see what's in you, don't say, oops, I didn't mean to do that. You need to confront that because if you don't confront it and get it out, it's going to go back down and be dormant until the next oops. I've told people and I'll continue to tell people if there's buttons in you to be pushed, you need to get a good electrician and there's no better electrician than the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit know how to get in there and disconnect those wires. Next thing you know, people be pushing buttons and nothing happens. They pushing buttons and nothing happens. There's people who know your buttons and they, have you ever noticed that some people, you can see the smirk on their face. Once they've pushed a button and you respond to that button, they say, yeah, I got it. I got you now. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just zero in. (laughs) You better dismantle them buttons before you slap somebody. Cuss somebody out. Ram somebody with your car. 
bust their window, cut their jeans, slice their leather furniture, <laughs> put dye in their clothes, bleach them. Oh man, I'm telling you, it's just history. Hot grits, <laughs> scaldings of oil. Y'all know some of the stuff you be thinking. <laughs> Woo! Let that just simmer a little bit. Yeshua is one baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's informed through a, a vision and word of knowledge concerning Nathanael and reveals this supernatural revelation to Nathanael, whom when he hears the words Yeshua spoke, knew that it was supernatural revelation. He knew it. Nathanael's response to Yeshua, he says, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Really? How did you come to know this? See, I'm going to tell you something because I've seen this happen. Seen it happen. You could be standing with somebody and father show you something. And this is, this is one of the things that I really try to press into when I'm doing ministry is allowing father to reveal to me certain things. And I have to tell you that the more you know about a person, the more challenging it is to hear from father concerning them because you can speak out of the knowledge that you have. It is a lot seemingly more effective to speak prophetically to somebody you don't know. I can't tell you how many times people have brought folks to our services and I speak certain things and they're hearing it. And especially when I've spoken specifically to them and they don't come back because they swear up and down that whoever invited them told me about them. And it affected me at a point to where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm operating by the spirit and it's running people off. You prophesy to somebody and, and you don't see them no more because they're scared. And I found myself kind of sh shutting it down because when you have the mindset of building, the last thing you want to do is sh chase people off. And you can deny the work of the spirit operating to appease people for the sake of, of numbers. When Yeshua did what he did and Paul did what he did and the apostles did what they did, when they went forth and they spoke by the spirit, it brought some of the same issues the prophets of old who spoke by the spirit experienced persecution. So he says, you are the son of Elohim. Why? Because of a prophetic word, a vision, a word of knowledge. King of Israel. Now that's a powerful statement because when he say you are the son of Elohim and the king of Israel, there is so much wrapped up into this verse, into this statement. Nathanael's words acknowledge Yeshua as the true king of Israel was an indictment against Herod, the king. How can you say he's the king of Israel and Israel has a king? See, this goes all the way back to the wise men or the Magi's who came and told him a king is going to be born. And Herod wanted to take him out because Herod knew he was an illegitimate king. And now Nathanael reveals to him, you're the king of Israel. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Yeshua didn't want this known. And that was a perfect, legitimate reason why he didn't want it known. Because I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, people will use you to accomplish their desires. 
They're not so much concerned about you as much as they are concerned getting their desires done using you or using your platform or working through a base that you've established. And it's unfortunate, but it happens all the time. I saw this mess so much. Well, you know, I'm going to invite you, Doc, but then if I invite you to come to our ministry, then that means you're going to have to invite me to come to your ministry. So it's like quid pro quo. So, you know, I'll invite you once a year. You invite me once a year. We start a circuit. And that's a challenge. Because people would wonder, well, why don't you invite people? People are inviting you. Why don't you invite people? I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I don't invite people, and I will if these people have withstood the vetting process. See, the last thing I need is somebody to come here and preach something that is contrary to what we preach. I can't tell you how many ministers I've dealt with that says, I got to clean up a mess. They come and they say some stuff. And I've heard preachers say, you know, as an evangelist, I go, I say what God give me and I'm gone. Yep. And you left a mess. And now what you just did in one service is going to take six, seven months, a year or more to undo. And this is why we have a vetting process. You may not know it. That discipleship is a vetting process. It's a process by which, okay, you say you're called. I don't question one's call, but are your calling, is your calling supposed to be exercised here? Because we work on creating an environment where his truth minus all these traditions and all this other stuff so that people now don't have to wade through bones trying to find some meat and spit out the bones. They don't know what if you're getting a word. How, how do you take a word and determine whether or not it's bone or meat? Well, brother, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Well, how do I know which is bone? It would be one thing if you gave me a cowboy ribeye because it's got the bone in. Some ribeyes don't have bones, but it came from a cut of meat that had bones. So what we're trying to do is debone the meat. So you got meat with marbling for those of you who eat meat. For those of you who don't eat meat, we got some good ribeye tofu. <laughs> you can imagine you eating meat. Hallelujah. Good old tofu steak. We try to serve it up right over here. Anyway, the goal is to keep you from having to make a mess or keep somebody from making a mess so you have to wade through all that messy stuff. Because almost every week, I'm having conversations with somebody who is coming out of the mess. And can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? Once you go into an environment and you've trusted to be taught truth and come to realize that you've been taught some stuff that's not truth, you become so guarded to where you don't trust because you, you gave your trust 
and now you have been violated. And I'm going to tell you, you know, when a person has been violated spiritually, they have a very difficult time opening up. And so part of what, what I deal with and what we have to deal with is people who've come by the time people get to us, they've been so violated. So they'll check us out six months to a year on the internet before finally figuring out, okay, I'm going to go and see if it's like that in the person. And I see them, they come in and it's like, okay, I don't know you. I'm going to sit over here by myself. I don't know you. Hey, y'all nice and friendly and all that, but I'm hurt. I'm violated. I'm closed. I'm here, but I ain't here for you to get in my business. You're asking too many questions. Let's just talk on the surface. And it's like, you know, it ain't that kind of party with me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking and father starts showing me stuff. And I started speaking what he's saying. And it's like, Oh, that's scary. But when you walk in the spirit, when you have the baptism of the Holy spirit, you should expect that the Holy spirit is going to reveal things to you. And I'll tell you, the Holy spirit will do more revealing things to you about you than with about somebody else. Because let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not a gossiper. The Holy Spirit is not trying to expose people's dirt. The Holy Spirit is not about lifting the lid off of folks so you can see their nakedness. He's about comforting. He's about encouraging. He's about inspiration. But he's also about correction. And let me tell you something. How you correct me and how you correct the brother over there is going to be a different correction because where I'm at and where he's at is not in the same place. I had to learn that. Everybody can't be corrected the same. You got to know what you're working with. I'm almost done. So Nathanael's word acknowledged Yeshua as the true king of, Messiah, of Israel was an indictment against Herod. Herod was an el- an illegitimate king, and many of the people knew this. In fact, upon others recognizing Yeshua as king, caused some to want to make him king by force. Can you imagine somebody trying to get Yeshua and take him by force to make him be king? This is what it reads in John 6. We'll get to this, but we, I just wanted to jump ahead a moment. I don't normally do this. Then those men, verse 14, John 6, when they seen the miracle that Yeshua did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Yeshua therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Verse 50, John 1. Yeshua answered and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And so he prophesied to Nathanael and he said unto him, verily, verily, I see I say unto you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of Elohim ascending and descending upon the son of man. Amen. So this we find is the close of the chapter. And I just want to, point out that there were five disciples, Simon, remember Andrew, 
John possibly was the one who was with Andrew. Andrew goes and finds Simon. Yeshua didn't invite Simon, John, or Andrew to follow him. Philip was the only one invited by Yeshua to follow him. Philip went and find Nathanael. Yeshua didn't invite Nathanael to follow him. And so Yeshua's got five followers at this point in John chapter one at the close of the chapter and only one who he had extended an invitation to, which is why when we look and we're going to look ahead as we look back on the verses that we looked at, he went into a place to pray. And from there, he chose his disciples. Why would he be choosing his disciples after he prayed? If he already had disciples before he prayed that he had chosen, he didn't choose them all. There are many who followed him. And from those who followed him, he chose them. And he said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many will come, but few are chosen. And it's important for me, it's important for you to know those who have been chosen. Why? You see, when the other ones leave, like Yeshua, when he, when those disciples heard something they didn't like, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, I'm closing. But if you're going to be a true preacher of the gospel of Messiah, Yeshua, preaching as the spirit gives you, you're going to say some stuff people ain't going to like. You're going to believe some stuff people aren't going to agree with. That's just part for the course. Everybody will not agree with what you preach. Everybody will not agree with the stand you take based on the information, the knowledge Father has given you. And so you're going to say something at some point where people are going to say, you know what? They're going to hear, they're going to believe they've heard from God telling them to go or to stop following you. Just like when Yeshua preached that one sermon, we'll get to it in John. He says, many of his disciples, when they, when he told them what they had to do to be a disciple, the Bible says many of his disciples turned and followed him no more. Now here's how you know the chosen. He looked at the 12 and said, are you all going to leave too? You see, this teaching and philosophy is contradictive to the church model of building a church. Yeshua didn't call us to build a church. He said he will build it. He called us to make disciples. So it's not about building churches or how many people you got attending, Doc, how many people you got going, Doc. How many attend your fellowship, Doc? I know sometimes y'all come and y'all see, where's the people? It's like, you know what, you here. As far as I'm concerned, I got an audience of one, two, whatever. But it doesn't matter who shows. What matters is that you are true and about what Father has given you to present to people. And when you do that, there's a chance. Folks, they're either going to leave you and wish your demise. I'm going to put it to you in plain English. You know how sometimes when you break up with somebody, you want something bad to happen to them? Hello? You know when somebody wronged you, you want Father to just rain down fire and teach him, don't mess with me. I'm not pointing at you, sir. I'm pointing at the chair. I mean, pointing at this chair. Right? We got to get out of that mindset. And I tell you, I'm guilty even as of this week. 
So I got to get out of that mindset. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>